Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message from Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us on the web at vinelife.com or read our blog at inthecurrent.net. So we doing all right? Doing good? Okay. Um, uh, quickly, before I get into the message, I just want to give you an update. Um, this week, this Wednesday night, it'll be... Uh, another great Wednesday night because it, it's another Vine Life family night. Uh, I don't know if you've been around the last couple months, but uh, first Wednesday of the month we've been getting together uh, as a Vine Life family. And essentially what these nights are about, um, it's, it's about us coming together, not just families, but the church family, and for a time of prayer and worship and more interactive as far as the way we bless each other and the way we pray for each other. Um, and we invite the kids to come and join us. And uh, it's really, it, it really is a family atmosphere. Anyways, that's happening Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Uh, since it is December, and, uh, and we are all feeling so festive, we invite, we invite you to bring some Christmas cookies or dessert to share with the rest of the community, and it'll be a good time. Um, please, please consider coming if you haven't been. It, I, it's just a great time in the presence of the Lord. You'll feel blessed. Um, throughout the evening. And I'll say this as well. If you have children five and under, we do have childcare available, uh, RSVP only. So you can go on vinelife.com and RSVP or cruise down to Kids Quest and do that. But if you have children older, I always encourage you to bring them in to the environment so we can just um, worship with them. So sound good? That's Wednesday night. Now, uh, I will say this as well. Uh, the, the whole family night thing, it's part of a whole unfolding vision of family nights. A few months ago, we rolled that out, and we talked to you a little bit about that, about this vision to eventually um, move these experiences into homes across the region. And uh, we're still seeking the Lord on that. The cool thing is, this last week, we did start uh, our first family night house group leaders training. And uh, it, it was a phenomenal group of people. And... Um, the Lord, I mean, it was very apparent that the Lord was, um, was there and he was guiding and leading us in that time. And there's just the sense of anticipation is awesome. Um, you haven't heard a lot about that because we're intentionally moving slow now so that we can move fast later. Um, we're taking our time with this because we want to build it. We don't want to rush into it. We want to build it um, and, and really seek the Lord and how he wants this thing to develop rather than just start launching some things. So please stay tuned. It's going to be awesome. Sound good? Sweet. Well, um, we are in December, and that means that uh, we are gearing up for Christmas, which is the most wonderful time of the year, yeah? And uh, man, I, I'm really thankful for my wife. Um, she, she just knows how to find the deals, right? So I, I don't know. Has anybody got all their Christmas shopping done yet? Okay. Well, my wife's ahead of you on that, all right? She's already got that in the can. Um, thank you, Black Friday, uh, for all the incredible deals and for my wife. Um, you know, men also have a Black Friday. They call it Christmas Eve. <laughs> and so that's where you will find all of us day before Christmas. Giving our money away. Anyways, um, moving on. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the words that we use for this season is Advent. Now, I know we're a non-denominational church. Uh, we don't put a lot of emphasis on the church calendar historically, but this is a really cool time of the year. The Advent is what we call it. And the word Advent actually means coming or arrival. And, and it's the time, it's the season where we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God became flesh, that he made this journey from heaven to earth. 
um, for us on our behalf. And so we celebrate the Advent, but we're also reminded of, of, of what it was like for those believers, just that longing, that anticipation. And, and in the same way, um, what we have the opportunity to do is to let ourselves be stirred up in the same way for the second advent or the second coming of Christ because he is coming again. And there's something inside of us that as we celebrate his first coming, we should also celebrate or we should also long for that second coming where we get to see him face to face. And so we, we, uh, we take this time uh, to remind ourselves of who Jesus was, what he came to do, what he said he was going to do. And, and we do take an opportunity to remind ourselves of how that must have been for the people of God. When Jesus shows up on the scene, how was that? How did they receive them? What must have that been like for them to receive the Messiah for the first time? And so I'm going to hop into this, and I'm going to move very quickly, but I just want to pray um, for us this morning. Would you join me? God, I thank you. I do thank you for this season, God. And I know that it's a season that we can easily become so familiar with that we lose the wonder and the inner workings of what you would want to do here. And I pray that even this morning and throughout the coming weeks that we would take the opportunity to pay attention to your kingdom at work inside of us and around us, God. I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would um, just light up the way and uh, bring revelation to us where we need revelation, God. That's what we're asking for. And uh, we thank you, God, that we celebrate your journey from heaven to earth. And God, we ask that you would stir up our affections for your son Jesus in this time. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So when you read through the Old Testament, it doesn't take a genius to find out that Israel had a very rocky past. It was very dicey. All right, it doesn't take, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. You flip through um, and you, f- you find a people group who are chosen of God and they want so badly for the kingdom of God to be manifest on earth and for the rightful king to come and take his throne and they want this badly. But we read story after story of from them in Egypt in slavery to them being led uh, out of captivity uh, into, you know, into another period where they have a whole succession of kings. You know, and some of them are good, some of them really aren't that good. Um, and, and some of them really didn't go that well for them. Um, and then all the while, you, you, we have these books from what we call the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And these prophets uh, were um, essentially God's mouthpiece to the people of God. When God would want to speak to his people, he would send these prophets. And, and uh, sometimes the prophets would come and they'd have uh, a message of judgment. Maybe the people of God walked away. Maybe they were in sin and God had something very specific he needed to say to his people to return to the Lord, you know, and this is what's happening because you've, you've turned. But then, then there's other times where they're just in the favor of God, right? And then there's other passages where, that would talk about how, how things are in turmoil right now, but it's not always going to be like this. That there's one who is coming, he's going to set it all right. 
There's, there's one who is coming and he's the king that's going to establish the right kingdom here. And, it, and this day, there will be a new day. The light will shine here. But it is, it is interesting how, how you, you, can, you can flip and almost it seems like every other chapter, they could be in a completely different state. Either they're being, you know, facing exile or they have the favor of God on them. But, but we know for certain that it was very back and forth for them. But they would get these prophets and these prophets would bring words of judgment and words of favor. And, and you know that the people of God, as they're reading through these words from the prophets, they're clinging to some of these, these scriptures, they're clinging to some of these passages that talk about the Messiah. When they get together around a dinner table, when they get together around a fire, there's these passages that just light the way for them, to remind them to bring this hope that, that there is a new day coming. And I love it this time that we um, focus on some of these passages and specifically in the book of Isaiah, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And, and you know that it's just at this point, it's like the people would rejoice. Yes, we need the light of God here. And then verse 6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this, like these passages, and there's, I could go through tons of them, these passages uh, just became anchors for the people of God. They would look at their current circumstance, but they would look forward. These God would send his prophets with the word saying, there, there is a day coming, and, and there is one coming who is going to make all of this right. And, 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 and the government will rest on his shoulders. And that probably sounded like really good news to them after having a lot of governments that didn't quite work, Right? A bunch of kings that, you know, wow, that didn't, that really didn't work. Like, who, whose idea was that? That just didn't work for us. And so the idea that a child is coming with a government that rests on his shoulders and he has this type of description and this type of resume, amen, bring it on. This is going to be great. And so God brings this word to his people of hope and promise. But here's the crazy thing. Same time that Isaiah is writing this, we read historically, it's about 722 BC, we read historically, maybe during or just after he wrote this. It says the Assyrians came and take the, t- took Israel into captivity. Assyria, the Assyrians came and uh, essentially overthrew the nation of, Is- of Israel uh, for about 250 years or so. So you, you can imagine how that might have gone down, where the Lord brings a word that says, yeah, there's a child coming and the government's going to rest on his shoulders. And they're like, yeah, government. And then welcome the Assyrians to bring their own government that rests seemingly on their own shoulders for 250 years. And, the, you know, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but they're like, Isaiah, what was, what was that all about? You know? But I, what about the word? 250 years later, we haven't seen this government yet. And so here, here the people of God are longing for this new government and they're longing and they're praying and they're seeking and they're waiting. And then here comes a government. But this time, it's the Babylonians. A couple hundred years later, the Babylonians show up on the scene to overthrow the Assyrians. And it says in 586 that the Babylonians actually 
um, destroyed the temple at that point in time. So their connection to God, I mean, their, their place of worship, their house of worship, the centerpiece of, of their culture, the Babylonians came and overthrew the temple. And then we read about another government that comes through. The Persian government comes through and overthrows the Babylonians. And then later the Romans come and overthrow the Persians and they find themselves 600 years later uh, after a promise of a child that has a new government that will be called Wonderful and Mighty and Prince of Peace, we're still waiting for him. And so you can imagine, you can imagine I mean, needless to say, that they're wondering what's going on in all of this because they read later even in Isaiah, Isaiah, I mean, I could pull up passage after passage, but Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, the darkness covers the earth and the thick darkness over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and the kings to your brightness of your dawn. And you, know, and, and you and I read that and that's such a great just life-giving passage for us you know when you flip to that you come to Isaiah 60 and you just it just rests in the security of God but you got to imagine how the people of God must have felt uh, when they're being passed around to different governments and but then the Lord's message to them before this whole thing was arise and shine the nations are coming to your light and they're thinking really because I'm pretty sure the nations are coming to destroy us I mean I'm pretty sure that's what's happening here so, so, so help me understand, God, what your plan is here. And if that wasn't enough, we get to the end of the Old Testament. And, and, and in your Bible, in my Bible, not so much on the iPad, but on, in the Bible, there's a flimsy little page that separates Malachi from Matthew. Okay? I don't know how they cut paper that thin, by the way. There's one page that separates Malachi from Matthew. That separates the two Testaments. And you may or may not know this, but the time between Malachi and Matthew is about 400 years. They call that the intertestamental period. God essentially stopped speaking to his people. Malachi was the last prophet to come to the people of God. So after Malachi, everything went silent. What? It's like, it's, like, it's like the Lord brings this word of the coming Messiah. He brings this word of this new day, this light that's going to come upon you. But you're going to go through 600 more years of captivity, essentially. And 400 of those years, God's not really talking like he used to. Things have gone kind of silent. Things are starting to feel a little dark. And I remember... Um, when, when we brought Noah home for the first time from the hospital, he was having his days and nights confused. He didn't know what was what. Uh, and the doctor reassured us. He's, you know, she said, um, he'll figure it out uh, pretty quickly because he's going to realize that nighttime is the time that mommy and daddy aren't talking to you. You know, they're not trying to play with you. And so he's going to figure out pretty quickly that's night, right? That's the time he should be sleeping. And, and I wonder if that's what maybe it felt like for the people of God. Things got really silent. And so they probably felt very dark at that time. And I don't think it's unlike what a lot of us experience through our lives, maybe on a smaller scale. But I think we can all relate to that feeling of being caught in the middle of God's promise and your problem, right? 
and, and God releases a word over your life or a promise over your life and, and you got somebody prophesying, light, 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 rise and shine, but you're looking around and it just seems really, really dark. I'm like, what, what's, what's going on here? And what, what some people would call hope and faith, uh, you know, after a period of time, you look at that and you're wondering if hope and faith is just irrational thinking. You know, you got to think, 600 years later, they're still hanging on. It's the people of God hanging on to the word of God, to the promise of God that this could change. But what do you do when you're hanging on? You're hanging on to that word, and it just seems like what once with this great flame now is just a small little candle, and you're wondering, is this thing going to make it? Is this going to make it? And God, if you have a plan here, what we're asking for is your revelation, Lord God. If you have a plan here, we need to know what it is because this, is, this doesn't look like what you said it was going to look like or what we thought it would look like. It just looks really dark. And in darkness, as you know, you're kind of feeling your way around. You're not quite sure what's what. It's kind of a guessing game. You're not sure which way's forward. In the dark, you kind of get used to the silence. It becomes normal. But we know that this is the canvas that God chose to start painting again. This is, this is the, the, the entire background that, that God was setting up for his master plan. And you know, I know what happens from here. What I love about this story is we get to this point where we, we realize that in this context, it's like the earth and the people of the earth and all of the cosmos are just groaning for the Lord. And it's like the Messiah, where are you? We've been waiting for you. You're the one we've been waiting for to bring your rule, to bring your government, to bring your peace, to bring your kingdom here. Where are you, God? And it was just like the, the whole earth, all of creation was just pregnant with anticipation for the coming of the Savior. And that's why I, that's, this is why I love this passage. And Paul is talking about this to the Galatians. In Galatians 4, he says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The fullness of time. Is anybody else here a fan of the fullness of time? I'm just a huge fan of the fullness of time. I'm just going to throw that out there. Monster fan. I love the fullness. You know, some people have like favorite colors, favorite foods. I have a favorite time. It's called the fullness of time. Okay? That's just me. All right? I think we should get really excited about the fullness of time here. Because there came a time when the world thought things couldn't get any darker, when the people of God couldn't, thought things couldn't get any darker. But what God was seeing was that time was filling up and starting to spill over. Time could not contain it anymore. He waited to the perfect moment, to the fullness of time, to send his son. That's what he decided to do, and he knows what he wants to do. He waited to the fullness of time. And I, I, what I like to think is it's kind of like uh, you watch those war movies and you know that you got one army out there and they're coming, they're attacking, and you got the army over here and they're waiting on the, you know, the signal from the commander, right? Like, when are we going to go? And he's out there and he's, you know, he's trying to keep them back. They're just ready just to go like, you know, wreak some havoc or whatever. 
And uh, you got the commander up front, and he's just, what does he say? He's like, hold, right? Hold, you know, they're just like, they're ready. You know, they're just waiting for the word. And he's like, hold, you know, it's just like, it's just this climax building up. And all of a sudden, go, 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 get him, guy. And it's like, I, I just have this picture of like the, the angels in all of heaven waiting at the fullness of time. They're ready to bust through the heavens to come to earth. Like, when do we get to go? When do we get to go? Let's go. Let's go get him. And the father is, is there on the throne and he's saying, wait for it. Wait for it. Hold. Then 400 years of silence, and he comes and he breaks the silence with the cry of a baby. The fullness of time had come, and God chose the perfect canvas to start speaking again. Which is why I think it makes sense for John to introduce Jesus in this way. If you turn to John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then he gets to this last part. I love this. It's like, if, in case you were wondering... The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In case anybody's just has that question out there, has thing, have things got too dark here? Is there any hope for this little flame here? And John is here to remind us, hey, listen, the light has come. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish the light. And we get to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And then we get to our verse. I mean, this is what we're celebrating. This is it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's it right there. That's it. That's the miracle. The greatest miracle. That God would become flesh. Just when things were at the darkest, the light of the world shows up on the scene to illuminate the things of the kingdom. Emmanuel comes, God with us is here, and he is the light. Now it says that not everybody recognized him or received him. I just wonder, I think that's probably for several reasons. I think one of those reasons could possibly be some of them didn't recognize him because somewhere in the waiting, 
They lost hope in the word. And there was a word spoken. It said a child was coming, but in that waiting for that promise, how easy it is for that flame to be blown out. And so when he came, maybe the news was just too good to be true. I think in the same way a lot of us are holding on to those promises. You have promises of your own life. There's things the Lord has spoken to you and you've been in this waiting and you've been in this season where it doesn't seem like things are aligning with whatever that word is. But the Lord's promise to us is also this, that a dimly, a dimly lit wick he will not snuff out. If you keep holding on there, he will, he will fulfill his promises. Yeah. The other reason why they missed him was obviously because their expectations were not quite aligned. Um, they were waiting for the perfect government. Um, government after government. They had an idea of what this government should look like. Um, like a legitimate, real government, right? But I think what happened is they were expecting the light of the world to come, and the light was supposed to change everything. Now, it did change everything, but not quite in the way they thought it was going to change everything. And it's not unlike, I think, going into a dark room and, you know, you're in a dark room and you're kind of feeling around, you feel this or that, you're tripping over this or whatever. And then when the light comes on, it's not that everything changes in the room. It's not like everything is rearranged. It's just now that you can see uh, what you were tripping over before. You can kind of make sense out of what those things were about, those things that were obstacles in the darkness. Now I can see uh, with the purpose of those things. When the light comes on, on, uh, you can see things in the room that you didn't see before. And I think when the light of the world showed up on the scene, it's not that everything was automatically rearranged in everybody's circumstance, but what he came to do was to illuminate the things of the kingdom to show them that even in the waiting, he was at work. They just didn't see him at work. It wasn't quite the same as they thought. Now, did he come to bring a government to earth? Um, Yes and no. He came to bring the government of the kingdom of God to earth. Yes. Did that mean the government in the sense that you and I think about that or the people of God thought about it? No. Now, did he come, did Jesus come to lead his people out of captivity? Yeah and no. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that we were in spiritual darkness and, and, and spiritual bondage and, and the light of God came to illuminate that, to lead us out of captivity. Now, did that change the circumstance? It doesn't always. But what, we, what our hope is here is this. When the light of the world comes, when we are in the light of Christ, when we don't know what's going on, he knows what's going on. The light of Christ illuminates the things of the kingdom. And so when the light comes on, the things that were present in the darkness, which were fear and anxiety and uncertainty of what is this, what is that, I don't know what's going on here, I don't know which way is forward, those things now disappear when we're in Christ. Because if we're in Christ, we are in the light and we can trust that he lights the way. He lights the way of the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be in the light of Christ. And so we, we rejoice. We, our hearts are filled with gladness because the light of God has come to us. The light of Christ has come to us. 
And just as he came fully into the world, he will come again to fully redeem the world. And that is, that is why we rejoice, because he came fully. There was no reservation, in case anybody's wondering, he came fully into the world, fully God and fully man. And because of that, our hope is that he will fully redeem it. And so we rejoice in that because we're left in this place of hunger for the Messiah and even for the second coming of Jesus. But we rejoice in that hunger because we know that the God who lit up the world, who lights up our hearts, who still exposes the things in our hearts and, and makes us known and bring everything to the light, he will come again to fully illuminate the rest of the world. And so... We thank God for this. This is what we celebrate. This is the advent of Jesus Christ. A little nugget for you. I don't know if you know why we celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th. I was looking earlier this week, and um, originally the Christians they were celebrating the birth of Christ more in January, I think around January 6th on what they called Three Kings Day. Um, but during this same time, towards the end of December, um, there's something we call winter solstice. And there was, uh, um, I think the pagans essentially were celebrating uh, winter solstice at the end of December and the Christians were celebrating the birth of Christ in January. And... Uh, what happened is around 350 AD when Constantine was the emperor um, the church fathers were taking a look at this whole thing because they looked at this whole idea of the winter solstice and what the pagans were calling this day was they were calling it the day of the unconquered sun the day of the unconquered sun and the Christians are looking at this. Well, and, and the reason is because the winter solstice is the day where the sun reaches its southernmost point of the year. We're talking northern hemisphere here, but it reaches its southernmost point of the year. It's the day where the, you know, the days keep getting darker and darker and darker, and then all of a sudden something flips, and things start getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And so they were celebrating the day of the un- unconquered sun, and the church fathers are looking at this, and they're like, what's the deal here? We're also celebrating the unconquered son. We just call him Jesus. We're celebrating the unconquered son, S-O-N, but even the unconquered son, S-U-N, because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one that will not be overcome by darkness. There's no way that the darkness can suffocate the light that is Jesus. You cannot conquer Jesus. He is the unconquered son. And so at some point, they decide, you know what, instead of fight him on this, let's just redeem what they already got right. This is all about the unconquered son, after all, and his name is Jesus, and that's who we worship, and that's who we celebrate. And so, so now, we, you and I, are here in this season, and in just a couple weeks, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but even up until that, that time, you notice that the days are getting shorter And the darkness is getting darker. The days are getting shorter and the darkness is getting darker. And it's crazy because you leave church here today, it's already going to be dark, right? 
I mean, you may as well just go home and go to bed, you know? It's like, what? oh man, there's no daytime. And it's just getting dark, but in just a few weeks, there's something that switches. And, you know, talk about the heavens declaring the glory of God. We have this opportunity to be reminded over the next couple of weeks that in the middle of darkness, as we let the light and the glory of, of, of Christ in our lives radiate from there, we're reminded that when he comes, there's something that switches. And from there on out, there's a brightness that starts to illuminate the sky. And our days start getting longer and longer and hope starts rising again. And it's a very, very real, literal interpretation of what we're talking about here because we are celebrating Jesus, the unconquered son. I just want to read this last passage. This is what I love about this. We go back to Isaiah 60. Verse 19, it says this. The sun will no longer be your light by day, nor will the brightness of your moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Do you you guys get this? It says this, essentially, when the glory of the Lord comes upon you, it renders the sun redundant. There's, there's something that happens, spiritually speaking, when the light of Christ is inside of us. It's as if that same feeling that we get when we go in the sun and everything is bright and everything is warm. There's something about the sun and, and the, the, the light of Christ in our lives. It renders the sun and moon redundant. Essentially, Isaiah is saying this. Listen, you thought the sun and the moon were good. Wait till you see the light that's coming. It's going to be much brighter than that. <laughs> so I, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for this. I just want to pray that this is just imparted into us this morning. So let's, um, let's just agree in prayer. God, I thank you, Lord God, that this is what we celebrate. God, that you are the unconquered sun. Lord God, that your light cannot be suffocated by darkness. No matter how much darkness you push into the room, there's no way to suffocate the word that was spoken in the beginning and the word that spoke again and the life of of the light of Christ that permeates us here, Lord God, and all believers, Lord Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for hope that rises, Lord God. I thank you that in the darkness, you love to meet us there. You love to orchestrate things. Lord God, I thank you that your word says that you work all things out for the good of those who love you. And so, God, I thank you that in this moment today and in this season, as we're filled with excitement and as we're filled with, with that, the, the tension of, of longing, Lord God, that we can look to you, Jesus, as our Messiah, as the one who has come and the one who is coming again, Lord God, and that thing would move us, Lord God. That thought would move us, God. And as the days get darker and the days ahead, I thank you for your light to get brighter in all of us, Lord God, for the whole world to see your glory. We thank you, Lord God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.